Hello and welcome to Relationship Rescue. Every relationship begins with you, the podcast. And this is part two of a four-part series on um, what is called the drama triangle. I call it the dreaded game. Um, And it actually comes from the work of Stephen Cartman, who was a psychotherapist. And he actually described this triangle in the late 1960s. So this isn't something that, um, you know, that I discovered or just made up, but I actually, I actually stumbled upon it when I was working with, um, a pretty codependent client and a narcissist together. And I was doing a lot of research and it was a while ago and, and I came upon the drama triangle and this psychotherapist that you know, really put this all together. He's brilliant. He's brilliant. And again, he called it the drama triangle. I call it the dreaded game because it is a game that involves two people, two players, but three roles, right? Three roles with two players. And you have a victim, a rescuer, and you have a persecutor. Now, in part one, I talked a lot about victimhood um, as, you know, playing the victim role in life. And a little bit I touched on, um, you know, being the victim in the relationships and the narcissism and stuff like that. But right now, now we're moving into the victim role that is everything to do with a romantic relationship and Um, yes, you will, you could see this drama triangle come up in relationships with family members and even friends. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to speak to it, um, from the romantic, um, relationship, marriage, you know, long-term partnership, um, type of a type of a way. So as we know, again, three roles, the victim, the rescuer and the persecutor. Um, and what they do, the central role is the victim. You can't play this game without a victim. There has to be the victim, right? Because normally the codependent or the anxious preoccupied, really more the codependent, but is the rescuer. Well, they need somebody to rescue, right? So, and wait until I tell you about the rescuer. You're going to just die. That's the next next part. So the victim, um, they are needed. Without a victim, you don't have the game. So really, how the the goal is to stop being a victim, you know, because the rescuer will eventually get into a victim role, and I'll I'll get to that here soon. Um, but it's basically um, every victim requires a persecutor. Okay, so which also plays into the rescuer's role as well as the victim's role. So you can see basically that all three of these roles are intertwined, but we all enter the game with one primary role. And if you were to look at your relationships, I have my clients look at their relationships and like all of them, and you will see that you will either tend to be the victim in all of your relationships or a rescuer um, and you never go in as the persecutor. You become a persecutor, 
Okay, so you either go in as a victim or a rescuer. And what you can see is you see, we don't live life, and I've said it a million times, we live patterns. So you can start to dissect your relationships, attachments, styles, all of those things, the, the codependency, the narcissist, the victimhood, you know, and not, and, and by the way, there are codependents that are victims, right? So it's not always the narcissist, not always. So, anyways, so um, when you can identify, which pattern you relate to. Are you mostly the victim? And the victim is everybody does something to them. This is all full of all of their woes are somebody is not saving them. And when they're not being saved, they are the victim. So victims are, well, let's see, defensive, very defensive, submissive. Okay. Um, at times they'll be over accommodating. So what does that mean? It's almost like, think about um, people pleasing, but in a way that they're only pleasing others so they can get what they want and need. It's not people pleasing in the way that um, somebody that doesn't have a lot of confidence does it. There's, it, there's you know, somebody that just people pleases everybody because you know, they don't, they, they don't know what, how else to behave. They can't be assertive. They're fearful. They don't, they lack confidence. They lack self-esteem, all of those things. A victim in this role will, um, will do a lot of things for other people. They will over accommodate, overcompensate. Why? Because they're looking to get something back. It's a manipulation tactic. I'm going to do this for you, but I'm going to expect something in return. Right. So nothing is free from the victim. Nothing. If they do something for you, you better be prepared to make sure you do something back. Right. So then very a lot of passive aggressiveness in the victim conflict. You will find that the victims have conflict in all areas of their life. Not just one, not just with one person. Many, 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 many. They're de very dependent on others for self-worth. The victim is overly sensitive very manipulative. They're often angry, resentful, envious. A lot of envy of what everybody else has, feeling they should have it. And they're a victim because they don't have what everybody else has because they've been a victim, a victim of other people, a victim of every circumstance, right? So, so then what does that mean? They, well, they have a lot of feelings of unworthiness, a lot of shame, who, who does this describe? <laughs> yes, of course, a narcissist, but it also describes other, you know, codependents too. And it, it describes people that come from, guess what, you know, the, the childhood woundings in there, all of those things that I talk about over and over and over again. So um, what happens is that, you know, the, it, it, the core of any victim what you're going to find is um, that they that they have no sense of safety, right? Then and so the, when when they when you don't have a sense of safety, you don't really have um, a, an identity, or I should say maybe um, a reality. So um, so when they're when anything doesn't go their way, when their hope is shattered, or um, you know, or a dream has died or something, go, you know, it, it, 
they're really sink back into victimhood deeply. And then what? why? Because guess what? Everything starts feeling out of control. They want to control everything, much like the rescuer, and I'll get to that. But here's the problem. The victim feels powerless, helpless, hopeless, and that, you know, they are at the mercy of other people. So their entire existence depends on other people. So if you're having to depend on other people to exist, you're not feeling really safe. And so when you're not feeling safe and those other people are not rescuing you the way you need to be rescued or desired to be rescued, that's when the reactions come, the rage, the anger, the sadness, the withdrawing. That's when the narcissist throws in the silent treatment. Um, a lot of that, this is all coming from the role of that victim. And this is a part, again, of the drama triangle. And you cannot have this triangle without the victim. And now, do you see why the codependent and the narcissist find each other? Because the, the codependent needs to rescue somebody and the victim needs a rescuer. <laughs> Match made in heaven here. And then it gets ugly because they persecute the hell out of each other. Now, how does, how does the anxious preoccupied and the dismissive avoidant fall into this? Well, really, the fearful avoidant's going to fall into it because the fearful avoidant is the closest to a narcissist and they will play a big-time victim. Rarely do they uh, rescue. The anxious pre preoccupied will go into a rescu rescuing role. They will go to the persecutor role. And they will do what the codependent does, which is become the victim of the victim. Okay? And again, I'm going to go more into that. We're, I just, let's just stay here. So if you identify yourself as a victim, right? Okay. Well, guess what? Unfortunately, I hate to tell you this. Your choices are very limited. <laughs> so because life is looking and feels very difficult. And there's no doubt that at some point you've been wronged. There's no doubt that, because we've all been wronged. We've all, you know, there's proof of it. We can find it anywhere we look, you know, and you can even look in your child and say that was wrong, all of it, right? But it's not getting you anywhere. And when you continuously, it's like when people can't forgive um, and they hold on to that anger and that resentment and, you, and, and they're like, no, I will not forgive until this person apologizes. Well, you've now put your life in the hands of somebody else. Meaning you can't live until they give you the apology. Well, they may not ever give you the apology. And there have been people that have died with lots of anger because they didn't get that apology. Right? Well, the victim is in a similar situation. If they continue to just wait to be rescued and then when they don't like the way they're being rescue, rescued, they persecute, then your life is in the hands of other people. And what do most people want more than anything in this life? More than anything people want, da, 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 and I've also told you guys this a million times, certainty. They want to be certain that things are going to go this way. Certain. The codependent wants to be certain that they won't be abandoned, right? They want to be, so that's where the control comes in. Because if I'm certain you behave this way, if I rescue you, then I can be certain you won't abandon me. If I rescue you and give you what you need, then that means you need me and I can be certain you won't leave me. 
So the only way that relationship gets healthy is somebody stop, they stop, the rescuer stops rescuing and the victim stops needing the rescuer to rescue. That way the victim leaves the, leaves the game because the, the only way to leave the game is the victim. The victim, there can be no victims. There can be no victims. Otherwise the game will never end. It literally has to be that there's two people that are autonomous, that can fill their needs in a healthy way. The trust, they can, they feel trust, they feel love, they feel secure within themselves, they feel, you know, successful, they have that, and then they can go into the relationship and, 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 and fulfill the needs of their partner, which are healthy needs. They can depend on each other in a healthy way, not where one person is the victim and one is the rescuer. Do you see why there is a healthy dependence and an unhealthy dependence? If one person is depending on the other to rescue them continuously, it won't work. But guess what? You should be dependent on each other in a relationship. 100%. That's healthy dependence. I should depend on you, my partner, to be able to, you know what? Yeah, I'm down. Help me up. You know, like, love me. You know, just be there for each other. But not in this, this drama triangle. Doesn't work. So the victim has to learn to rescue themselves and it's not even a rescue, but not need a rescuer anymore. And, and for a narcissist, that's nearly impossible because why the world owes them, right? So, um, and, and every feeling, all the feelings that a victim have are fear-based. So what does that do? What does a fear-based feeling do? And I've said this to you guys before, what a fear-based decision produces anxiety, Every, I want you, when you feel anxious, all you need to do is this. Ask, my, ask yourself, what do I fear? And that's why you're anxious. What am I fearing right now? And there is, there lies the crux of the problem. So when I'm suffering from anxiety, and I'll still get anxiety sometimes, I say, what am I fearing? Heather, what do you fear right now? Okay, so that fear, um, what's the possibility of this fear coming true? Because remember, fear, anxiety is fearing the future. Depression is regretting the past, right? And when you're in the now, living today, right now, with what's going on in front of you, well, guess what? All of the rest is an illusion because the past can't be changed. It's over. In the future, you really can't decide what you don't know for sure. So that's not, it hasn't even happened yet. So the only thing that is in now is it's happening is now. So if you ask yourself when you're in massive anxiety, what am I fearing? And then you ask, and so you, you get the answer, and then I'll say, okay, Heather, what are the chances of that happening? Okay, um, now let's say that did happen. What's the worst thing? What's the worst thing that can happen if that happens? Can, do you, can you get through that, Heather? Can you handle that? Will you be able to, will you die? Nope, I won't die. I will not die. Will you still and I'll ask myself questions about, will you still have your job? Will you still have your clients? Will you still love your this? Will you still, you know, your children, blah, blah, whatever. Yep. Yep. Okay. So what's the fear? So here's the thing, what I tell my clients all the time is questions, questions. Just keep asking yourself more questions. The more questions you ask, the more, the more, um, the more you become conscious of what you're thinking and doing. And when your conscious mind can impress on your subconscious mind that all is okay and that you're okay and that you are confident and you are smart and you can handle this, 
that's when things start changing. Because remember, the subconscious mind actually is, is doesn't know anything. It knows nothing. It only knows what the conscious mind impresses upon it. So if, the, if you're in a victim role and you're consistently and constantly impressing fear, fear of future, fear of what you can't do, fear of this, and be, you're in a victim role, you, you, oh my gosh, all your reactions are going to be from anger, resentment, and fear, which is going to be massive anxiety, right? So, so that means that when, when you're programmed this way, when you grew up in a childhood home that was not, did not feel safe, to you and you didn't have the tools to express that I don't feel safe and you were continuously feeling unsafe you you look to people to rescue you that's how the victim role starts it's feeling unsafe as a child that's when you first start looking for people to rescue you and then who rescues you probably someone you love at some point, right? And what do they do? They keep rescuing, right? And then you find other rescuers on the way. And before you know it, you're an adult seeking a rescuer and not being able to do anything for yourself. That's how it all begins. So what do you got to do? What I do with my clients, you got to go back to that original childhood wounding and look at it, pull it apart. Otherwise, you won't get out of the victim mode. It'll be very difficult. That's why inner child healing is so damn important because you're stuck in it. You're stuck in the pattern. You got to pull apart the pattern. Look at the part pattern. How did the pattern start? Why did it start? And is this who I am? No, it's not by the way. Right? So when you now, so what, what, when, when a human being, especially a child is in fear, we are programmed to freeze flee or fight what happens to most victims is this they don't fight as a child they are not fighters they freeze or they run they flee they'll hide they'll run away they'll do whatever avoid dismissive avoidance will are you know are born here in this type of a place so um i fought i stood and fought right so um, I'm your classic was your classic rescuer, classic, classic, right? So, um, which by the way, I'm going to get you the rescuer role. They're not good. They're not perfect people. Codependents are not, they're complicit in this drama triangle, right? It works, you know, both ways. So anyway, so the victim normally would freeze or flee. And then what happens is they become an adult. The same thing happens. They either flee or freeze. It doesn't, it's, you know, you got a thing, you know. So if you freeze, that means you stop and you take no action. And you're, so you're either going toward or away from the source of your fear. So what, it, what is it doing? It's giving up and giving in to hopelessness. So you're frozen in fear. So you avoid responsibility because you think your experience is beyond control. So guess what this stance does? This victim stands right here. It, it, it freezes you. It keeps you from making decisions. It stops you from solving problems. And what it really stops you from is going after what you want in life. And it wrecks your relationships. From romantic relationships, family relationships, friendships, all of it. Because eventually you run out of people to save you. 
So what do you do? also you do? What is the what does the victim do? Becomes hyper vigilant always anticipating the next bout of suffering so when you're anticipating when you're going to suffer again what are you doing you're in fear your anxiety you're sitting in the anxiety so all you do is see life and all you see is around you problems problems and whether these problems are people or circumstances they become your misery and you will search for somebody to save you because why what i what did i just say i'm going to say it again because you stop and you take no action you freeze or you flee because you're either running away from the, what you should be facing or you're freezing in front of it so you're giving in and you're giving up to hopelessness you're frozen in fear you avoid the responsibility because why and i'm going to say it again remember because you think this experience is beyond your control and it keeps you from making the decisions, from solving the problems, and from going after what you want in life. And you search and find a rescuer. And when you find that rescuer, you hold on. You throw caution to the wind and you just go with it. Until that rescuer doesn't rescue you. And now you're in trouble. And you're upset and you're mad and you're angry. And you find another one and another one until you run out of them. And I lived with this. I mean, my father was your classic narcissist. He was a victim. He eventually died alone, had nothing. Classic narcissist. Classic, everything was about him. He had more problems than anybody. His, everything was about him. His, his back aches, his gout, his this, his, I, oh God, you name it. And I, I love my dad. The saddest thing when he died, I mean, I was so sad. I was sad because the life he lost. More than anything that he literally was a victim of my mother's death. And it ruined his life. He allowed it to ruin his life. It took over. And he died alone in a rundown apartment in Mexico. He had three kids, six grandkids. And was estranged from all. He hurt everybody he ever touched. But he had a big heart. Go figure. Huge heart. Would do anything. Give you the shirt off his back. But yet. Mm, manipulative. Lying. Very much. Very manipulative. A big liar. Stories. Different stories told all over to everybody. You didn't know. But yet. A big heart. And he did. I witnessed it, but yet, and why? Victim, he was a victim. Yep, so anyways, that is the victim part. Tomorrow, we're gonna talk about the rescuer. And then the next day, the final part of the series is going to talk about the persecutor and how the victim and the rescuer each become the persecutor and how the persecutor is played at times to the advantage of the victim and the rescuer and how we, you know, swap out these roles. So thank you for tuning in to Relationship Rescue, the podcast. Every relationship begins with you. And uh, until next time. 
Check yourself at the door. Check yourself before you say anything. Start asking questions. When you feel anxious, ask why. What do I fear? Because you fear something. Anxiety isn't fear. It's all fear-based. So say, what am I fearing? What's the worst that can happen? Can I get through this? Because yes, you can. You can. Goodbye.